0: Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk Well, we've just started as we know, I'm saying started, we've been in it for, I don't know, it seems months now we've been in 1st Corinthians and we're at the heady stage of nearly at verse 18. Uh, which is pretty amazing, considering we've been here for months and months. This may go down in history is the longest chapter that I've preached in yet. And we're not quite halfway through. And this morning, we're not going to get beyond verse 19 again, even though we've been in 18 and 19. The reason being, of course, is because this is where the foundation is set for what what Paul speaks to the church in Corinth here over the next three chapters and uh, having been in Corinth a few weeks ago, just to see that place and see the, the scale of the place and and to see and walk in the footsteps where Paul was standing and amongst that it just brings even more to, more to life. And there's no book in the Bible. There is no letter that Paul's wrote and there are, I think there's no more relevant. Of course, all of God's words relevant, Old and New Testament, but there is little more evidence of the world today than we would see in first Corinthians is so parallel to the world in which we see today and then in turn where the church is going and how then it's trying to one people, one favour uh, in amongst the world and slowly but surely it's is robbing people uh, completely of the gospel. Let me read again the few verses in which we will be in just this morning and uh, 1 Corinthians 1, and really we're in 18 and, and 19, but 17 is the is the is the the start of this whole discourse where Paul goes with the church. He says, "For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness." To those who are perishing but to us who are being saved is the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent amen praise God for the reading of his word this morning well, we continue our journey through this first Corinthians still, as it says in chapter one, and the subheading is man's wisdom weakens the cross. And that may seem a bit contradictory. Can man's wisdom actually weaken the cross? Of course, nothing can weaken the cross, but man's wisdom weakens the message of the cross continually. Uh, and that was leading the church in Corinth then, and all sorts of weaknesses. That was now the starting, starting to saturate the church, not the whole church, but most of it and history tells us it all, eventually all as it dissipates into nothing, it's ruins. You know wouldn't it have been amazing to go to Corinth a few weeks ago and arrive there and it was the same, it's a wash, it's nothing, there's nothing there, there is literally nothing, there's there's about half a dozen souvenir shops here, it's a bit like Edinburgh Royal Mile. You know the Edinburgh Royal Mile, as you walk along, you've got a tartan shop and then a shop that sells whisky trinkets and then you've got a shop that sells uh, Edinburgh Rock and then it goes back to the tartan again. It's it's a bit like that. It's just like There are actually only three shops in Edinburgh Royal Mile. They just all sell the same stuff. Corinth's like that, you've got the three or four shops with wee trinkets and wee different stuff and that's it, that's what I say, it's a tourist attraction. Now, sadly, uh, and that's 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 the end of a church that loses its way in the word. You no know, we're thousands of years later but that's that's the result. It took a lot longer than that for it to dissipate but that is the end result and the end result in the, most of the churches that we see. You know if you go to Revelations and you see the churches they no longer exist. The church in Ephesus no longer exists. It's not there. It's, it's gone. Uh, even, even, even if you go to Jerusalem which have not been, but I'm hoping to go, God willing, if it pleases the Lord, i will rather say, rather than say God willing. I think if it pleases the Lord's better. Uh, you can see are. you can see these amazing sites, but they're just ruins now. They're nothing there. No, they've been, some churches have been built on the sites, which is understandable if they're, you know, they're old ruins, but you get my point. But what was happening in Corinth is, is the, 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 the lack of, It wasn't the lack of the word getting preached at the time because it would be wrong to say that Apollos was not preaching the word or Priscilla and Aquila who was there although they moved on to Ephesus with Paul. It it would have been wrong to say that it wasn't preached but it was how they were starting to hear and where they were listening from. And it was starting to cause division. The division was not the cause per se. Division is never the cause. Division is the result. Division is the result of the word not getting preached. It's not the cause of the word not getting preached. There's division so we'll not preach the word. It's not that. It's for no preaching the word so there'll be division. It's the opposite. And when we have a clear message and we start to maneuver it and shape it to suit our own desires and carnality. It will always lead us to developing a divided mind from the body. And I said this last week, I've never met a single person who's denying the word or picking holes in the word, who's not developing a divided mind and spirit from the rest of the body in which they even may be in. In Corinth, it's not as if they developed this own message and their own idea and their own ideologies and their own theology uh, and their own ways of worshipping. That's what starts happening. They start to worship different. You look at the modern church today and they just start to worship different. No, It doesn't just start there, it it, it filters through, it's like a, it's like a snowball effect. And in Corinth it just starts and then it just starts to permeate and there's no, I've never met anyone who is, and in Corinth as I was ready to say there, sorry I lost my train of thought, that they weren't, they were still in the church. And that's the issue even in the church today. Divided churches no longer, no, it's not, that, it's not that people leave. Well, sometimes they do. Well, maybe they, they start becoming a bit nomadic and what church they go to, you know, that, 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 that's kind of common, you know, they become Christians on tour, as it were, as I've heard people say. But, but that wasn't happening in Corinth at this point. They were staying, they were just divided well there. That's much more effective. Or, that, let me say it this way, that's much more effective to destroying the gospel it's more it weakens the church greater you know because a lot of lump spoils what well the whole loaf yeah it's just a little bit of leaven you know, i heard one of the speakers saying was at a conference this week that you don't even see the leaven at times i think it was warren Peel, and he, you know it gets in it permeates in the wheat and the tears. you don't always see them at first you know and it's true that as believers that we will have to navigate and, and, and continue to have to manage tension between who's a believer and who's not, who's for us and who's not, who's who's submitted to God and his word and who's not. And sometimes it, it's not clear to the naked eye. Because some people can say Amen and Amen and, and leave and do the opposite. But what's happening in here is, is that the the division's starting to happen because they're starting to develop their own ideas and means of what Christianity and what godliness is. They're making Christ, therefore, ineffective in their own lives. And, and, and over the years, in pastor and pastor, and, and before pastor, and counseling, and all the stuff that went with that, every time I've ever seen somebody, which started with me before saved and then any trouble that I had after salvation, whether I had submission issues, or my head was taking me for a walk, or my feelings and emotions was taking me for a walk. It was, I was always making Christ ineffective when I was going with what I felt, or my own ideas, or whatever you want to call it. And what was happening in Corinth is, is they were starting to make Christ ineffective in their lives. You don't think you're making Christ ineffective in their life. And the reason people don't think they're making Christ ineffective in their life is because they keep on reinventing Christ. You don't think Christ, you don't think Christ's ineffective if you can keep reinventing him. But the problem is that in fact is making them ineffective because it's making them no Christ. Another gospel, which is what Paul says? It's not the gospel at all. They are nullifying and they were nullifying the power of the word by using their own word. That's what they're doing. They're nullifying the power of the word. And they were continually nullify the power of the word by using their own word weakening them in every era as i said i was at a conference this week in newcastle and it was it was a Westminster reformed seminary some see when you get any of this there's too many names westminster Reformed, presbyterian there's press i'm not presbyterian but they were presbyterians and a uh, it was a wonderful conference. I have to be honest and say it's one of the best conferences I've been to as far as hospitality goes. Which I I coming from a pragmatic background as we have as a church, hospitality is always bigger than the agenda. And the pragmatic church, they excel at it. They excel at hospitality. They just they just diminish at the word. <laughs> But they excel at hospitality, whereas much of the reformed church—and I'm not saying them all—I've been to Grace Community Church, and it uh, excels at hospitality and kindness, and no, and, and just excellence without being extravagant. Uh, and and we're at this conference, and I—I I, I was astounded and, and pleasantly astounded at the, at the hospitality which I've seen really over the last five years since our own reformation, know that we're an expert in five years, but in the last five years, I've actually only seen sporadically. I've actually only seen sporadically. Usually it's a polystyrene cold room. Polystyrene cold room. Polystyrene cold coffee in a cold room. <laughs> uh, which is not neither, neither, you get my point, no? And, but the, the, the hospitality was just wonderful. And anyway, at the conference, Newcastle, it didn't even matter who was speaking. You know, especially Alistair Begg I felt and, and, and John Payne, who I'd met before at the Banner. I could relate everything they said. I could relate the verses to 1 Corinthians one seventeen and 18. To every single message, I'm writing 1 Corinthians one seventeen Now, I think they were even quoted on a few occasions, to be honest with you. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made. Of no effect for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. I heard that every message every message I heard it, and of course I'm hearing that because it's where my life is saturated in at the moment my life is totally saturated in 1st Corinthians I'm living 1st Corinthians I'm studying We are as a church, day in, day out, day in, day out. And I'm hearing that's because it's where my life is saturated in. But also because it's not just a Corinth problem. It's a church problem. Throughout the ages and it's equally relevant today, maybe more so. As there are millions of more churches and believers now than there were in Corinth. Why is that a greater problem now? There's more churches, there's more believers. And the cross has been made of no effect every day in the church. Why? Because it's not been preached. Let me just add to that, what I just said there, that everything I heard. I heard 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18. Let me just tell you, just just, just to capture a thought here. Where we listen from, therefore, is what we listen for. Where we listen from is what we listen for. I mentioned I heard and I related so much about what I heard at the conference to the verses in Corinth because that's where I'm saturated in. That's where I'm living. That's where my mind's taking me. That's what I'm thinking. So the question you could add then is, could become, what is it you're hearing every day? What is it you're hearing? Because that will tell me what you're saturated in. That will tell me what you're saturated in. That's making you hear something contrary to the word. And what was happening in the church in Corinth is is the message was getting preached. And they were starting to dissect it based on on their feelings, emotions. And where they were at in life at that point. I heard John Payne talking about things. This This is the stuff that made me think about 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, He he was talking about things that stop his evangelising. We spoke about that last week. He said misplaced priorities. Overreacting to people's reactions. These are the very words he says. Fear of rejection. That just took me right back to what I thought about last week and what we spoke about last week. Then he talked a lot about word and deeds. And I loved this whole area. And he spoke about it. It really was... uh, I'm not saying it was the, the, the vein that run through the whole court, it was the vein that run through his messages. But he was talking about word and deed, because that's what if they do, word and deed, we, we, we do the works of Christ. No, he won salvation because of salvation and to to, to imitate Christ. But the problem is, and what John Payne was saying is, is that, that deeds have became, have overtook the word. You, know, you talk to people. You no, know, often the word is, "Are you doing outreach? Are you doing outreach? Are you doing outreach? Are you doing outreach?" Becomes way more, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but it becomes way more important in the word. And what happens is, is, John Payne says, paraphrase, he says, "Instead of word and deeds, we become deed and word, and then we become deed and word. We become deed only." And what he was saying is, is the exact same as what was happening in Corinth, what Paul was warning him is, that he was saying, the church is transferred from preaching the word to simply doing deeds and kind acts and meeting people's needs. Now, I was talking to John Payne privately and and he was saying this and we were sharing these thoughts and he was saying, you know, none of us would deny who helps people. You know, you you would never say, you know, if your son or daughter or mother or father or somebody was sick, you wouldn't go to the the surgeon and say, you know what, if you're not preaching the word, I don't want you to help them. So we're not saying that they things don't matter. We don't care. But let's not call it the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's no preaching the word. Those things are good, but they'll know the gospel. They're easier to do almost, aren't they? You're not going to be offended. People are not going to be offended by buying them a pizza. Well, they might be. I don't know. depends what diet they're on. But predominantly, they'll no be offended. You know, they're not going to think you're a moron. Moronic. Which where it talks about the, the, its foolishness, the Greek moronic. It's, you're a moron they're not going to think you're a moron for buying them chocolates but they might think you're a moron for preaching the gospel no they won't them who it's foolish and too well think that they think it's good but they know the gospel they're easier to do because they make you feel less ashamed less isolated less ostracised and he's, he's talking about these things I'm taking notes and I'm going First Corinthians one eighteen. As he talked, I was again reminded that he everything that we spoke about and how the words became other things. I wrote two things when he, when he was writing. This is the first one I wrote. And we were, I was talking to him about it. it says, other people's needs, wants and desires is one of the great stumbling blocks and distractions to us stopping sharing the gospel and staying on subject. They cause us to start to feed people's wants and carnal needs and stop us sharing the gospel. When we do that and continually do that, the issue is, and this is what I wrote, the deeds become the gospel to the lost. And anything other than charity, acceptance, and flowery love, I've no wrote that, but I've added it there, is now ungodly and not the gospel. And this is what's happening in the world. You look at the modern world today, everything's Christianity, in it. I heard I heard Pierce Morgan, I mean, if there ever somebody that needs saved, it's him. But according to Pierce he is. Do you know why Pierce is saved? Because he said a kind word to somebody. He said a lot of unkind words. See when somebody like Pierce thinks he's saved, you know you're in trouble. Well, you know he's in trouble. But the reason he thinks that and so many think they are saved is because Christianity has become deeds based only and therefore all charity and good works is a form of Christianity. I'm a Christian because I'm a nice person. I'm a Christian. I do nice things. We're all Christians because we do X, Y, Z. That's not the gospel. The deeds, and this is what it says, the deeds become the gospel to the lost. And anything other than charity acceptance is now ungodly and not the gospel. you maybe have experienced this yourself. You're helping somebody and then you share the gospel with them. You're like, you're no very loving. All right. Isn't it amazing how the amount of unsaved people actually tell you what the gospel is? You know, oh, you, you you're telling me what the gospel is. My dog died two and a half, three weeks ago, and it's still, still, it's it's horrendous. But the amount of people that still telling me, no, no, I've said it over the last few weeks, that don't worry about it, he'll be in heaven. And, I, and I'm thinking, I think you need to be concentrating on where you're going. You know, you you don't know anything about God, anything about heaven, but you know my dog's going to be there. Which, which I personally don't, I, I believe in. But that, that, I'm, as I said last week, I'm not getting into that. And this is what we're seeing today everywhere. It's not wrong to be charitable, to be kind. And and we as a church, when we were a pragmatic church, we were always kind. We were, we always had hospitality. We, we did. We were known for it. We'd have stuff. We would give clothes away, we would give school clothes away, we would give tens of thousands of pounds away at Christmas, we would give that, we would do that, we would feed the need, we would feed the homeless, we would do that, but I'm not in the gospel. And you get caught up in that stuff and it's never addressed in church and it's deeds, 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 deeds. In fact, John Payne was talking about uh, John Stott, I I, I quite like John Stott, he's very pastoral, but loosely. And John Stott says, as you can morph, and I'm paraphrasing what, what, what John Payne says, is as you continue to do the word and deeds, the, the, they both meld into one and it all becomes Christianity. That's a danger. That's a danger. And that's what happens in the church. So anything other than kindness, charity, that's saying that UNICEF, UNICEF's do some good work. But they're not sharing the gospel. In fact, much of the, I could even say the Salvation Army do that. No wrong, they do a lot of good work, but they they tend to no evangelise as much. What we're seeing today everywhere is charity that's now became Christianity. And it's became offensive then to preach the gospel. You go to somebody and say, you go to the world and then you say, you know what, I've I've got this gift for you, I want to give you that, I want to love you that, even if it's only praise and adoration and building people up. And you go to somebody and say, you know what? You're a sinner. You're a sinner. And you're going to hell if you don't repent and be baptised, turn your life to Christ. Whoa! It's no very Christian, that's what's happened. What's happened in society is kind acts and charity has become the truth. It's become all that Christianity is. And therefore, everything's Christianity, including Piers Morgan. Really? Really? And then when you bring the word to the truth, the word and truth to people's lives, they're hopeless sinners, desperate need for forgiveness, desperate need for a saviour. It's frowned upon and called unloving, judgmental, and unchristian. This is happening every day in our society today. If I don't accept a man who says she's a woman, I'm no loving. If I don't accept a wee boy that says he's a wee girl, I'm unloving. That's, wh- that's the way it's going. If I, don't, if, I don't, if I don't bow my knee every time every, every time I go in a football park, I'm no loving. Yeah? If I don't put a Ukraine flag out, where's the love? That's what it becomes. And it's saturated in every form of life. And that's called real. Christianity. But what it's created is a deeds. This became the gospel. Which makes. What we preach. Actually more necessary. But more than that. More challenging. Now anyone who does a remote kind. Act sees himself as a Christian. John Payne talked to Cape. Relating it to the church in Corinth. I I kept relating it to the church in Corinth. The point is, your desires and focus start to guide your thoughts. In Corinth, Paul's message was being distorted due to where they were living from. And that in turn was dividing them. If you feel out of sorts or divided, or indeed divided among in the body, it comes to where you're listening from and what you're listening for. Warren Peel in his sermon says this, and I might have missed a couple of words, but it's as close as I could get it as I was writing it. We think preaching doesn't work because we think everyone should be saved. And when we don't see salvations, we think we need to alter our approach, end quote. Isn't that true? I mean, I've been preaching for ages and I just don't see any effect. We're not getting the crowd in, especially if numbers is all that matters. I heard the guy say numbers matter because people matter, I says oh see that, that's just, I get where you're going with that, but there you go, you're just going to go down a road there where it becomes about numbers and no one insults. And we start to no see results, this is what happens in the church all the time, so you go, we're going to have to adapt, think of the Church of Scotland, we're starting to no see results, we'll adapt, what's happened? Nothing, became totally ineffective. We think preaching does and, and what happened in the mega church, but there almost there's almost no mega churches in Britain anymore. Mega churches died during all the carry-on in the last couple of years. Mega churches died. Because when the church couldn't open people left and much of them were social Christians anyway and never come back. There's almost no mega churches. This is why you see a lot of pastors who are hired hands, who have fled and no longer in the pastoral ministry. In the last couple of years, there's so many who have left and no longer in the pastoral ministry because see when trouble came to their door and it became a difficult thing to preach the gospel, it became difficult. They're hired hands because they're celebrity pastors and now have left to go and start their new thing and left the congregation. Rather than starting again with the people who were real believers and seen it as an opportunity to get back to the word of God, they've just fled. Hired hands, the first sign of trouble, they fled. Do you know who stayed? My sheep hear my voice and will hear no other, true believers. So Warren Peel says, We think preaching doesn't work because we think everyone should be saved. And when we're not, and when we don't see salvations, we think we need to alter our approach. It's what happens. But yet, when you look back in history at the great men and the great missionaries, in the world they preached for a long period of time without any salvation do you know who preached for a long period of time without any salvation just in case you're wondering if you're a failure Paul <laughs> Paul Paul preached in Athens and bit for a few hardly him to get saved to the point of view that he was discouraged that God spoke to him and then told him don't be discouraged because there's many in this city who many in this town who are for you that's what he spoke to him in when he was in Corinth because Paul was discouraged with the lack of salvations and the lack of change and the lack of transformation in people's lives. But do you know what it never done? It never made them change the message. He just ran his race. And you read this time after time after time again. And we missionaries. Or in the world, I remember reading about missionary, I forget his name. He was in uh, Mongolia. Do you remember his name? No. They're a Mongolian missionary and he was there for years in Mongolia Ulan Batar in that area preaching the gospel week in, week out, year in, year out, year in no, no salvations apart for a couple I think he was here 20-30 years, no salvations and then he died and then after he died no word got out that he died so another couple of missionaries in knew went over to Mongolia and went over, boom they were like a revival as hundreds of these people were saved and the, the new missionaries then says this guy preached i can't remember his name he preached for years and years and years and years no salvations why now he says this is what they said and i'm paraphrasing what i heard he says well he preached week in week out week in week out that he is to live that when he goes he goes to eternity to be with the lord he says so we decided to just watch him all the years and as we watched him living over these years we just seen the joy as he died and we thought he must be going to heaven and now get saved he never seen their salvations but he never changed the gospel and that is a challenge to us in, in this community in this city in these towns these villages at this time that we don't start adapting the message to suit what the crowd are desiring. And Paul, is Paul said it regularly, told Timothy. Alistair Begg. I'll go to the Timothy bit in a minute. Alistair Begg quoted the South African theologian David Wells. This is what he says. How true is this? When he said this. We look for a God we can use. And not obey. End quote. Is that not true? We're looking for a God who we can use. But not obey. Is that not the modern is that no the modern charismatic Pentecostal church right there in a sentence? Again, that very quote drew me to the church in Corinth. How true is that in the church today? How many use God or attempt to use God? for their own gain. They distort the word and turn it into man's words, man's wisdom, in order to go where they want to go and do what they want to do. It's not God's word that's guiding them, but the feelings, emotions, and desires. There's a very, very slippery slope that we would find ourselves on as believers when we start to create the internal create the internal voice of God to guide our feelings and our desires when I was away at the conference last week I walked, walked into the sauna the tell the sauna in the steam room and I walked into the sauna I don't know if this ever happens to you and I, and this is aside this is not the main thing that I want to talk about it just came to my mind I, you ever noticed that sometimes the greatest opportunities to present the gospel comes when you're least prepared? I was like, I was so not ready, because I'm just getting into the sauna to chill. I'm not expecting a guy to be there to hijack me with theology. I just was not ready, and I'm just getting into the sauna, quite the thing. I'm chilling out, and the next thing I get GBH'd with a Pentecostal Christian who was really wanting an argument, and I, and I was like. And I was so well prepared and I actually wrote notes later, I was like, you, you need to be more, pre-, you know, and I, I almost think it's God's way of telling us, you better be prepared all the time, even going to your sauna, you know, well it's my time to chill out, I'm just chilling out in the sauna, I don't expect to get in there, and you, you open the sauna doors, you don't know when he's in in the first place, <laughs> and you just get in, you sit down and go, hello, hello, hello. That was fine, that's fine. I'm not looking for a debate, I'm not looking for a conversation. I don't want to know anything about the guy. I I, I want to be totally un-Christian. I'm not even acting like a Christian in any way, shape or form. You know, and and if you're anything like men, women tend to ask this, it's just I've just observed this. Women tend to go, you married any kids? (laughs) Women ask that, men never ask that. Men always ask, where are you from? What do you do for a living? We get right down the business road right away. We don't want to know. We're, we're trying to measure how successful you are. Often. So I walked into the sauna and said hello to the guy. and Then he says, what did you do? And He was, he was very, he, he was very tense. And I said, I'm a minister. And then he started to interrogate me. Um, quite angrily, I thought. And then he says, I'm a Christian. And asked where, and I'm telling you, I'm underprepared. I'm, I'm, I'm underprepared here. I, you know, you know the conversations you go back and go, "If I had to start that again, this is what I would have said." And we've been talking in prayer meetings about being a tenderhearted high priest. <laughs> <sighs> no, and, and, and I'm now getting hijacked with his agenda. And he said he was a Christian and asked where, and he said, "I think he said the Isle of Bute." And then he said he was in another church, but God told him to leave. And they're now waiting on God to tell them what next. That's how the conversation went. And at the moment, then he says, at the moment, God's not saying anything. I've had conversation after, I've heard this conversation hundreds of times. And at the moment, God's not saying anything, so we're not doing anything. That was, that was the conversation. So I says to him, how do you know it was God? It was speaking. Oh, and you can imagine, and that, that was like red rag to a bull. That was, that was cue. let's up the ante and abuse here. You know, he just, he just went to another level. I says, how do you know it's God that's speaking to you and know your feelings? He says, God speaks to me all the time to encourage me. And I'm thinking, I never said this, and I'm saying, Jesus dying on the cross, I was dead in my sins and trespasses. Jesus died for me that I might live, it's all the encouragement I'll ever need. And I'm not saying that it's no good to be encouraged at times, so anyway. Which was strange that he says that because his posture looked anything but encouraged. To me, he just looked angry and demented. That's what he looked like. He looked lost to me. I said to him, I think, it's, don't you think it's better to trust the word than believe God's speaking to your feelings? He says, aye, but I do that as well. I says, well, why do you need anything else? We have something made more sure. This is what Peter says. We've got something made more sure. We have the word. And I started thinking about this. I don't know about you. Before I was saved, even during I was saved, do you know the thing I need to trust the least is my feelings? Really? I don't know about you, but feelings have got me into trouble when I've went on them more than any other thing. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm astounded that then people think that that's the main means of communication that God uses when you get saved, considering how warped they were before you get saved. And I don't know about you, is any of you ever have a, have you ever went in a feeling and it wasn't even right, or, or react in a feeling? I mean, they're not going to get you lie here all the time, did not you? I, I just felt. I heard a guy saying this once, and this is kind of sums it up, he says, I had a feeling once that horse was going to win. And I put, I'm not I'm no endorsing gambling, I don't gamble. He says, I had a feeling once that horse was going to win, and I put 200 pound on it. I says, did it win?'" He says, no, it was fourth. <laughs> I says, he's, I says it was fourth. He says, yeah, I just felt it was going to win." But yet you've got people every day that they're going in their feelings and their hunches, and you're going, that's the thing that I should be trusting the least, because it's the thing that's most warped in my life. I said, I think, don't you think it's better to trust the word and believe God rather than believe God is speaking to your feelings? Of course, he never seen it that way and he wanted to get into a whole debate. Nothing to do with God's word, but just based on what he felt. How can you argue with that? You can't tell me what I didn't feel. No, I can't tell you, you didn't feel, but, but to trust your feelings over the word is a dangerous, slippery slope to go on. One thing for sure was this the man was being guided by his own unredeemed feelings which is the last thing to get redeemed, do you know that? do you know your feelings is probably, your feelings and your thoughts is the last thing to get redeemed yeah that's really, And your feelings and thoughts is so far away from being redeemed at times that God tells us continue in his word, don't bother trusting them. <laughs> but this gentleman has been fully guided by those feelings as what was happening in the church in Corinth And the reason I know that he was totally being guided by his feelings is because he was doing things which was the exact opposite to what God's word was saying and the moment we get saved we're asked to what deny yourself what our selfish ambition pick up our cross follow me daily take every thought captive, 2 Corinthians 2, take every thought captive and line it up to the word of God and be ready to punish all disobedience. Well, when I go with my feelings and my emotions, I ain't punishing disobedience, I'm running with my disobedience. I've yet to meet a believer who is guided through life by the feelings and not the word that is living peaceful, this gentle certainly wasn't he and I pray for him, peaceful, joyous, wise decision-making fruitful life, who are living their life based on their feelings, even if you just capture that thought and ask yourself when you run with your feelings what often happens, it never ends well, don't it no? it rarely ever ends well, it's insane to think that your feelings are sanctified more than the word. That statement alone is worth the admission money. (laughs) It's insanity to think that your feelings are more sanctified than the Word. My feelings are not more sanctified than the Word. They're the most worldly thing about me. It's insanity to believe that your feelings are better guide than the Word of God. It's totally futile with no result hopelessness to walk your Christian walk by being guided by the most untrustworthy unreliable and untamed thing you have before you get saved and at any given point still the most untamed uncontrolled ungodly thing that you have there's nothing more ungodly It's, it's like the remnant that we keep having this remnant that, that's still in our life, our unsanctified life, is our feelings and emotions. But yet that's the thing that many Christians live their life by and feel that God's guiding them by. Before salvation and therefore mostly after salvation, nothing can be manipulated more in your life than your feelings. Nothing can be na- have you ever had a feeling that somebody didn't like you and you've got no evidence for it whatsoever other than the mind that you've started to create somebody didn't like you have you ever created a narrative in your head about what people thinking they've just said that because of that because of where you're listening from so that everything is now relatable to your feelings and emotions and not God's word Ay, they just said that because of that have you ever said this, somebody says something now they're speaking to thousands of people and they go that's about me Really, there are thousands of people in the room, the person said something and you think that's about you. That's just somebody that's totally guided by their feelings and emotions. Now, it might relate to you, I'm not saying it doesn't. Why would we as believers make that our guide? Therefore, after salvation, when it's the easiest thing to manipulate, isn't it? Have you ever justified why you needed new shoes that you didn't need? Listen, we don't even need to go spiritual here. Have <laughs> you ever justified why it was a good idea? I mean, have you ever seen shoes? I'm just saying shoes, jackets. I've got a covetous jacket problem. I've got a jacket problem. Okay, I'm, I'm admitting it. Okay, so you see it and you just go, well, it's... You know you don't need it. You know you don't need it. But it's a bargain. <laughs> and if you know you don't need it, but it's a bargain, why deny it? Why deny the new trainers that you don't need? You've still got two pairs that you've never worn. You've no even, have you ever pulled some out of your wardrobe? You're like, they still the label on that. I have. Maybe some of these are And you're like, you're, den- and, and you're like, it's amazing at what you can, you are amazing. We as humans, if we go in our feelings, we're amazing salespeople. We can justify, it's a bargain I'm as well. I'll never get the opportunity again. That's how our feelings work. Right, that's, that's just a snippet of how our feelings work. Okay, that, it, it gets much darker than that. That's, that's not really harming many people. But I don't know about you, but the feelings and our emotions get much darker than that. Yet that's what we're trusting. For God, that's the means and what God speaks to us through. Really? I mean, I'm in this sauna, this is what this guy believes and he's lost. He's he's a Christian on tour, going all over the country because he feels stuff. I'm not saying we never have unction, is the word, or receive unction. That is always in line with the word. And in line with what the word is already speaking to us of. However, when we simply allow our feelings and let's face it, you, do you know what I know about this guy the guy I'm talking about in the sauna I know he's no left that church positively guaranteed guaranteed he's no left that church positively you know that there's been stuff going on underneath that's negative he's starting to look at things negatively because see if it was another way would have went a whole different process most leaving is negative feelings nearly all leaving is negative feelings no I know people can relocate but in general it's negative feelings no positive feelings that started it that's if you're guided by your feelings and no God I know nothing of that man but I know the leaving the church or the the church that he left was due not to positive thoughts or because he was saturated in love and fellowship it's because his feelings were now being affected with whatever he was hearing, I don't know what he was hearing, and, and he's starting to create and build up the own narrative in his own mind about what he needs, and he's calling it God's word, and God's moving him, and God's calling him. And the feelings would almost solely, based on the anger and the angst that I've seen, the feelings would almost solely be born in negativity, division, and separation, criticism, and above all, above all, this is where feelings that guide us the wrong way are mostly born in rejection. The feeling of rejection. How many twist God's word and what they hear in rejection, in flesh, and unction is no here in the flesh, but the spirit, and it's really negative. I'm saying it's, it's really negative. Really negative. I don't know about you, but my feelings are way too negative for me to trust them. <laughs> That's the great danger that you listen to yourself. It's perishing, it's destroying, it's utterly futile. Yet throughout the charismatic and much of the Pentecostal movement, it's used as a spiritual sat-nav every day. That's a spiritual sat-nav. That was my spiritual sat And that sat is connected to the least stable part of you. Why would you connect the spiritual sat as it were, to the least stable, balanced part of your life? For guidance. That's insanity, isn't it? When I'll just connect what God says to me, to the least stable part, to the least sanctified part, to the part of my life that's actually holy at times, holy W, holy, unruly. The least sanctified part of a human is their feelings and emotions. Why would that be my spiritual sat-nav for guidance? Feelings and emotions is where my carnal desires is fed from. All carnal desires are fed from feelings and emotions. And then they go in and justify their actions. They never go to the Word and even if they do, they start to scroll the pages. Uh, start to scroll the pages to suit the feeling. It's like a flicking dip. We're waiting to, waiting to justify the feeling here. This is what God's told me. I know there's a scripture that's told me to go forth. You, know, you just flicking it to find the thing that suits the feeling and emotion. That's not the Holy Spirit working through the Word. That's us working and attempting to manipulate the Holy Spirit into our desires. Paul warns Timothy this in order to stand firm in the Word. This is what he says to young Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 5. And I'm sharing this is because this is the exact mindset that was starting to go on in the church in Corinth. 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 5 For the time will come, well, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, stories, fantasies. But you be watchful in all things. Endure affliction. <laughs> endure affliction. Ain't that so un-Christian in the modern world? What do you mean, endure affliction? It's not about enduring affliction. It's about God getting on board my dream. It's really the new buzzword, isn't it? That's it. It's God. It's God obeying you, no, you are being God. But be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill the ministry. So parallel to what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth. Paul gives even more clarity when he writes to the Romans. Near the closing of his letter. Would you hear this? This is astounding. Romans 16, 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, know those who cause division and offences contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. That heart can be even our own our own flesh our own desires. The Greek words here for this and i know to go deep into this but the Greek words here really add weight to what Paul is saying here uh, as, he's, as he's bringing these points to the the Roman the church in Romans Paul writes that the cause of division are caused by both what man hears and man wants in his flesh that's what's causing division what man hears and man wants in his flesh verse 18 for those are such who do not serve the Lord Christ but their own belly In other versions it says their own appetites They're not serving Christ. They're serving their own appetites, their own wants. The Greek word is koileia. Koileia. And it means, it means, in your innermost parts, or even better, your innermost thoughts and feelings. Your innermost thoughts and feelings. Paul continues in the verse, and by smooth words, flattering speech. These smooth words can be your smooth words. They don't need to be somebody else's. We can speak smooth words to yourself to justify why we're doing what we're doing. By smooth words and flattering speech deceives the hearts of the simple, he says. Smooth words and flattering speech, it's kristoeologia. <laughs> or you would pronounce it Christoiologia. And it really means to stimulate and to make plausible what you want. That's what I mean. Have you ever made plausible what you want? Just to justify why you were feeling what you were feeling. I'm justifying why I'm not being kind. I'm justifying why I'm not being loving. I'm justifying why I'm not submitting. I'm justifying why I'm going after that thing. I've made it plausible so that I can continue to pursue it. That's what feelings and emotions do. The next word is flattering speech. It's quite similar, but you pronounce it Yologalea. And it, it means It means to be artfully adapted. You artfully adapt it to captivate the hearer. If you think of the modern pragmatic church, they artfully, if you think of these guys like your Stephen Furtick's, how they they artfully captivate people by their words. They've got artful captivation and what it does is it stimulates right into your desires. It speaks into your wants. It speaks into your wants. Yologaliyah, Yologaliyah, to sell yourself an idea and make it sound godly for the sake of pursuing your carnal desires and lastly the whole purpose is what? Why do we talk? Why do we speak that to yourself? Why do we allow people to speak to us like that? Why have we got these false teachers? Because the purpose is it is to deceive. exapateo, to deceive, to trap, to seduce you into something. And then all that talk and all that ungodly speech, that is no the word, starts to corrupt the soul in the very recesses of the belly. Causes us to be seduced and misguided and then eventually divided. That's what's happening in the church day in, day out. Well, it's what I feel. No, I, I know I'm a man, but I feel like a woman. And, and it's just how I feel. You're telling me I'm not allowed to feel that? No, I, I think it's okay to feel that, and that's, that's entirely up to you. It doesn't make you it, though. I know you feel, man, I feel like a woman. I mean, you might feel like a woman, but you're not a woman. You know see, see the way that's gone see what I just says there that'll be a criminal offence soon that'll be a criminal offence if Keir Starmer gets in that'll be a criminal offence what I just said there they'll be working towards that being criminal because that'd be classed as hate speech and no truth that's what that's going to come that's what's going to be that's that's hate speech right there that's hate that's unchristian. that'll be classed as unchristian. It leads to nothingness. I'll close with this. Paul quoting his eye in verse 19. 1 Corinthians 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. It'll lead to nothing. Pursuing the flesh, pursuing feelings and emotions, using that as your guide will always lead to nothing. Total devoid. Of God leads to ruin. And this is the message that goes out from the church into the world. We leave people perishing. We leave people perishing. But when we ignore our own carnal desires and feelings aside and bring God's word to them into the world, that's what we're asked today. Paul says at the start of chapter two which we'll get into in a few weeks for i resolved to know nothing when i was amongst you except christ and i'm crucified and he says i have determined i've put aside my mind my thoughts my feelings my leanings my desires and i've brought the gospel it's not about what we want the scripture to mean it's about what it means It's not about what it means to you. What does that scripture mean to you? It's totally irrelevant what it means to you. It's what it means. We ignore our own carnal desires, feelings aside and bring God's word to them in the world. Then them who are his will not perish. My sheep hear my voice and hear no others as it says. How many God's people are so trapped in their own feelings and their own desires that they keep justifying that they have simply been ineffective in bringing the gospel to the world. So ineffective in bringing the gospel. And that salvation message. The good news. They want to use their own feelings and emotions and articulate speech. Philosophise people. Give them modern psychology, jabble. Positive affirmation. All the stuff is opposite. And then adapt it to suit and go, well, God's word says that. If you seen you've not it to be positive? That's, the, that's usually, that's a shallow's argument. We must put that aside and preach the word. This is what Richard Baxter, the reformer, says, just close with us. We must preach as dying men. To dying men. And it's a constant challenge in this world, brothers and sisters, to put aside our feelings, emotions, our carnal desires and the leanings of the world. There's what the world, if any parent in here knows this, they'd know there's what a child wants and there's what it needs. And you know that the worst parent is them who give the child what they want rather than what they need. And why does many parents give the child what they want instead of what they need? Because they can't cope with how they feel about no giving them what they need. Because of how the child then makes them feel guilty. Or the child goes in a huff. Or the child goes in a mood. Or the child cries. So they give them what they need. Sorry what they want. Instead of what they need. And God's words no any different trying to satisfy our carnal desires. He's telling us that we must deny them our selfish ambition. Crucify the flesh. And we have to do the same in order to bring the God's word and bring the gospel to them who would be otherwise perishing. We don't know who they are. Someone asked at the conference, if we believe in election, which we do, what's the hurry? You think, well, that's a good question. If we believe all who were meant to be saved will be saved, what's the hurry? Well, the hurry is this after you obey God in His Word and go forth. That's the hurry. The hurry is obedience. The hurry is, the hurry is that these people who are not yet know the gospel are in my world and in our world and in our time. You know, one of the saddest things that's happening in the church today is, is that you've got the church full, maybe no full, of unconverted souls who know not Christ, and equally sad as you've got the church with many converted souls who are not being equipped and discipled to go forth and make more disciples, and that the great tragedy. And it all starts with us creating our own gospel in our own mind which leads to division rather than unity. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.